Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom's weight management programs are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Welcome to episode 95 of the Keep or Cut podcast. I'm Chad Young, joined as always by Pete Ball. And our, our countdown to 100 is, is, we're getting close. Five more. This is, uh, it's exciting times in the Keep or Cut clubhouse. Yeah, we got to put up another K, right? Like right above the green monster. We're getting, <laughs> we're getting that much closer to 100, the big century mark. It's been a long time coming and we'd already be here if it wasn't probably for the uh, shortened 2020, right? So yeah, we'll, uh, that's true. We'll just, we're, 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 we're overdue here well we're we're making progress and we are very excited to be near getting close to that milestone we are uh as a reminder we are a proud member of the pictureless podcast network it's probably a handful of other podcasts nearing their 100th episode as well you guys should be checking them out if you haven't and of course you should be leaving us ratings and reviews subscribe to us wherever you subscribe to podcasts and then let us know what you think of the show, uh, both through those ratings and reviews and by hitting us up on Twitter at Keep or Cut. You can find Pete at Pete B Baseball. You can find me at Chad Young. Love to hear from you. Love to know what you want us to cover. Uh, tell us what's working, what's not. We're just, we're ready to chat. So uh, we're, we're here for you. We got, we've been answering questions. I got, I got a question today. Actually, let's, uh, let's start off with that. Let's get, let's get a little warm up going here. I got a, a, a tweet today that came at me from give me one second uh chris o'connell at chris oc 38 and chris asked in a fangraphs points league side a is a 50 dollar trey turner a a seven dollar jake mccarthy and a two dollar jackson churio side b is a 46 dollar mcclanahan and a ten dollar jake cronenworth you wanted to know which side you'd take Name the first so, side again. I got McCarthy. So I got Trey Turner. And who's the third $50 one? Fifty dollar Turner, seven dollar McCarthy, two dollar Churio, for forty six dollar McClanahan, ten dollar Cronenworth. Mm, that's a that's a tough one. I mean, so much of that has to do with needs, right? I mean, at least it's a little easier in a points league where you're just looking for points. Um, yeah, I assume. I'm going to assume this is a weekly league. I don't know the intricacies of Fantrax's points league so settings fa- uh, so it's not a new league fan graphs points oh i i was going fan tracks fan tracks oh fan okay well, that point yeah that i am very familiar with yeah. um and i'm I, the phillies are struggling but I, i'm gonna take the trey turner side here although i a seven dollar jake mccarthy you're gonna have to put me in a headlock and twist my arm to take that <laughs> yeah so it's funny i uh so he he sent this tweet to me to Eric Cross and to Dynasty Halp, which is the imaginary brick wall guy. I don't know if you're you're familiar with his work. Great Probably dynasty work. Um, the imaginary brick wall. If you if you don't know it, I, I we've talked about Eric on here before, so I don't need to plug Eric Cross again. But if you if you have you haven't looked at the imaginary brick wall for dynasty, you should. Um, but Eric replied pretty quickly and said side A, and. I, I ended up replying and just saying it's pretty easily side A. 
Um, Chris, if Easily. you're listening, yeah. And so I, here's what I was going to add to this is, is Chris, if you're listening, when I saw this tweet, it was first thing in the morning and I had a longer reply in mind to explain why I thought it was easily side a, and I was tired and the kids had to wake up and I was just like, eh, I'm just going to say side a, I agree with Eric and move on. And so, yeah, that's, that's what I did. I just replied that, but here's my thinking on this at $46 and $50 Turner and McClanahan are pretty expensive. I'm not thinking long-term value with either of them. Maybe depending on how your roster is constructed, you could keep one or both of them. Like you, whichever one you have, you could end up keeping totally get that. But like the keeper value isn't where the excitement is with those guys. And given that I like Turner more than McClanahan, like straight up, if I have to choose between the two, give me Turner then. And part of that is just, pitchers are riskier like there's there's all sorts of reasons for it especially part of it lefties is, that throw 100 miles an, miles an hour yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and part of it is just the turner's that good um sure. and then cronenworth and mccarthy to me are actually comparable and they're comparable in a weird way because Ugh. mccarthy is more upside and cronenworth is more floor but they're both guys who i'm like eh I'm not super excited to roster them, but they serve a purpose and I get why I've got them and, you know, fine. Right. And if you, if you're adding Turner in a deal, you probably have the middle infield depth that giving up Cronenworth and getting McCarthy is a, is fine for you because you're going to, you always need more outfielders. At least I always need more outfielders, but if you've got five middle infielders and one of them is Trey Turner, Cronenworth is sort of unnecessary. Um, and then you get, and then you get Churio as well. So to me, I looked at that and it was like, I think I'd rather have Turner than McClanahan McCarthy and Cronenworth. I'm sort of, I could see going either way, but I, if I'm adding Turner, I can understand why I don't need Cronenworth. And then Churio then becomes like just another piece added in <laughs> and Churio is not just another piece. Right. So that was, that was where my mindset went. Chris ended up replying to the thread and saying that this other he he needs pitching, and the other manager wouldn't do Shane for Turner, wouldn't do McClanahan for Turner straight up. He thinks Churio is too much to give up. I I agree with that analysis completely. I think if I needed pitching and I offered Trey Turner for McClanahan straight up, I would. I don't think I'd want to add to that. I think I'd be pretty comfortable just being like, look, I'm giving you a stud shortstop who's hitting at the top of a great offense theory, a great offense. I still expect it to be a great offense. And I, I don't know. I, I almost think you'd have to, you should have to add something to McClanahan to get to Turner. You should. The other okay. Round. Yeah. I was waiting for you to say that. I'm like, no, you should be adding to McClanahan here, especially if they're yeah. around the same price A $4 difference is not enough for me to do straight up. No way. Totally. Totally. But I also can understand. I mean, this is it. Chris who made this offer He's the one saying, I will take McClanahan straight up for Turner. Right. And my, my my thought to Chris is, you're probably overpaying a little bit doing that, but I think that's fine. It's a like to me, that's a fine overpay. If you're like, hey, I can deal without Turner and I need a pitcher, that's sure. a great example of a trade where like you don't have to you don't have to win the trade in in a vacuum for the trade to be good for your team. And so I, I'd be totally good doing that straight up. But if the other manager is coming back to you and telling you like, oh, I need you to add in Jackson Churio. Like if the other manager came back and said, I need some B prospect because I don't know if I want to make this deal. 
you know, then you're overpaying a little bit more, but like some random prospect who cares, but like, no, I'm not just, I'm not just tossing in Churia to to make this work. So uh, with that, let's get into some news and notes around baseball. And, you know, Pete and I were talking about this a little bit before the episode. And I think um, there are lots of sources out there for just the news. Uh, my personal favorite, although I'm not hosting it this year, is the First Pitch Podcast. It's right here on the Pitcherless Podcast Network. You should be checking that out every day. It'll give you all the, the details, what's going on. There's also plenty of podcasts out there that cover just fantasy value for guys. And so I think we're, we're, what I want to do when talking about the, new, the news today, and this is, I think, where, where Pete and I have aligned, is try to avoid the stuff that is like you can get it anywhere else and talk about the stuff that's really specific to Keeper or Auto New Leagues. And so, like, Brian Bayo is back, but that's just, you know, slot him into your lineup if, you're, if you've got him. Max Fried is back, slot him into your lineup if you've got him. Like, these are, these are pretty straightforward decisions. But there's a few things that have come up recently that I think are worth talking about a little bit more because I think there are keeper league implications that exist beyond what's happening in your redraft leagues that are worth considering. And I, wanted, I got two call-ups and two injuries. So the, the two call-ups are Brett Beatty and Taj Bradley. And so to start with here, if you have Brady and or Beatty, if you have Beatty or Bradley, I can say those names together. Bradley, <laughs> Beatty, Beatty, Bradley. All right. If you have Beatty or Bradley in a league where there are no minor league slots or where you can move guys in and out of minor league slots or whatever like that, there's not a lot to discuss here. They're good players. You should use them. I think the bigger question for me is I play in multiple leagues and I'm sure some others do too, where I have minor league spots where if you call a guy up, they are called up. They require a roster spot. you got to cut someone to make room for them and you lose the ability to stash them in the minors. I have Beatty and Bradley in leagues like that. And I am debating whether or not I should call them up. Or I should leave them stashed. And I guess, Pete, this is me coming to you for advice. I'll give you my thoughts as well. But what's your advice for me? Should I call them up? I mean, these guys, guys, like, hey, roster spot or no, get them in your lineup. You're, you're going to want them today. Or do you want to wait on them? I'll start with Bradley um, because I'm a little bit more excited with him, especially given the landscape of pitching and I think he ties in nicely to another story that we should probably be talking about for our keeper leagues which is Jeffrey Springs now going down with Tommy John he's over 30 is he a hold is he a cut what are we doing there um that's something we can tackle otherwise but I I think because of that Taj Bradley is going to be in the rotation for the rest of the season and if you haven't called him up yet you've already missed out on two really good starts where he's won both starts he's had at least eight strikeouts in both I think he's like the first pitcher ever to do that or the first pitcher since like 1908 or something like you know pre-world war one um to do something like that he's a guy who we had matt hackman on here last year and and when we asked matt about you know what prospects he's most excited about he's pretty quick to say taj bradley um bradley has just looked downright nasty it's an organization that continues to churn out pitchers even though they continue to churn out injured pitchers we'll ride taj bradley as long as we can um and because of that jeffrey springs injury i expect taj to stick um, like, yeah, okay, Glass now is going to come back at some point. That's not necessarily going to bounce Taj Bradley. Um, and even when he does, are we confident he's going to stay healthy? 
Uh, Zach Eflin is due back this weekend. He's a guy who's come out of the bullpen in the past if things get a little bit crowded in the Rays rotation. But I, no matter how crowded things got for the Rays, I don't expect them to bump Taj from that. Um, if you look at their their depth chart right now, like when fully healthy, that rotation is McClanahan, Glasnow, Rasmussen, Eflin, and Bradley. And that's really good. And two of those five names are currently hurt anyway. So Taj Bradley, I am calling up already. I'm doing it yesterday. Um, and, and I think you have a pretty solid pitcher going forward in TGFBI, Chad, where it's just been a disaster, man. I, I drafted Rezo Iglesias. I drafted Joe Musgrove. I drafted Jose Altuve. Like, it's just been an absolute, I don't even want to talk about it. I spent like, I think 371 fab dollars. I think that was the number. I'll have to double check that on Taj Bradley because pitching is just such a mess. Um, yeah. and so you got him, you, you got to call him up. So I'm curious your thoughts on Taj because I'm I'm all in. And if I have him, like I said, I'm calling him up yesterday. I'm all in on the talent for sure. I am less confident than you are that he stays in the rotation. And so I look at their rotation right now. And if I go to roster resource right now, their rotation is Shane McClanahan, Taj Bradley, Drew Rasmussen, Josh Fleming. And there is no fifth starter listed on roster resource. And Fleming, I think we can agree, um, you know, one of these things is not like the other, right? Like he, he, he's fine, but he doesn't belong with that group. And he is the obvious guy to take a seat for Eflin or Glassnow or whoever is back whenever they're back. Um, those really are Eflin and Glassnow, the only two guys coming. So if you figure they show up, Fleming leaves the rotation. That leaves McClanahan, Bradley, Rasmussen, Glassnow, and Eflin. That makes a ton of sense. However, Taj Bradley threw 133.1 innings last year. That was easily the most of his career. He has thrown, he's, he's been throwing since the start of the AAA season. And as a result, he's already thrown 17 and a third innings this year. And so I'm, I am not convinced that the Rays are just going to stick with him in the rotation the rest of the way. And my... My concern is that in, especially in head-to-head leagues, that he just may not pitch in September. Um, It probably depends how they think they're going to use him in the postseason if they get there. And I think there's a good chance, like, if they get to the postseason and they're healthy, Taj Bradley as a piggyback guy or a bullpen weapon or something like that makes a ton of sense because McClanahan, Glassnow, and Rasmussen are your your three main starters, then you'll have a choice of like an Eflin or a Bradley. And given that, I think there's a chance that in September he is either a reliever or he's shut down and resting. Like I, I just, I don't know. I I'm having some, some nerves about calling him up because I'm not convinced there isn't going to be a, a an innings cap of some sort. Now, he did throw 133 last year. That could mean that he can get up to 150, 160 this year. And if that's the case, that's a full season. Um, so maybe I'm maybe I'm overthinking that. But that's that's where my mindset is. That said, I think I'd call him up anyways. 
Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think you have to because there's a couple things at play. Like, I think both things can be true. I, th- I think Taj Bradley is a member of the Rays rotation going forward. But are there going to be times where he either has a phantom IL stint or they get close to the playoffs, like most teams do when they get close to the playoffs and start figuring out who are our guys coming out of the pen, who are not. I mean, folks that have been playing a really long time, uh, like you and I, will remember this very organization with a young David Price uh, down, yeah. down the stretch and in the playoffs. He was coming out of the pen for them. Um, so, of course, they could do that with Taj Bradley. But worrying about that is is going to cost you in the short term because this dude's just dominating right now. I mean, he's blowing people away in, in an environment where we're not getting enough pitching. Like to me, that's too hard to leave in your minor league reserve. I'd, I'd have to call him up right now. And I'd also think like the Rays are obviously all in like they are every year, no matter how much I hate them. They just continue to contend and contend and contend. And, you know, it, it, like my original point, like Shane McClanahan broke down down the stretch last season. Glass now is on the IL now. Eflin is already a servant at IL stints. And he came out of the bullpen in the playoffs last year. So like I, there's a world where Taj Bradley you know, does serve two weeks, three weeks on the IL, some random time in August, and then he's fully ready to go to just, you know, win you your head-to-head leagues in September. So it's too risky to not call him up. Fair enough. I I, I buy that. I think that makes sense. You've convinced me. Let's talk Brett Beatty. So Beatty just got called up the other day. He started on Monday and then was back on the bench on Tuesday. Um, He came in to pinch hit. He got out, but that doesn't really matter. <laughs> the point is that um, they did bring him in to pinch hit in, you know, late in that game. He replaced, uh, he replaced Thomas Nito. So, you know, Escobar, Escobar, I think I pulled for a pinch runner. It looks like seems like a weird thing. Let me see what happened here. If I go down to late in the game. So Dan Vogelbach got a hit to lead off the eighth. Francisco Alvarez came in to pinch run and Beatty came in to pinch hit. Now it's an interesting thing that they did there because the catcher spot was up. They decided they wanted Beatty's bat there more than they wanted Alvarez's bat. So that's, that's a good sign, I think, but it's, it is worth noting that, you know, it's not like he came up and then was just plugged into the lineup. And that was that he, he was out. Yes. You know, he was not in the lineup yesterday. Um, I don't know. Do the Mets have the, I know there's a bunch of early games today. And so maybe the Mets lineup is already out uh, for those listening. It is like 11 AM Eastern time on Wednesday. When we're recording this, you're going to hear this later today. The Mets, Oh, the Mets play at noon. So let's see, they should have a lineup and the Mets are starting Brett Beatty and hitting him second. So Ooh, that's, that's interesting. They have Pete. They have Pete Alonso leading off. Wait a second. Good. No, this is nope. Stop. <laughs> I take it back. This isn't a lineup. This is not a lineup. The MLB app is confusing me. It looks like Lindor's it should be a lineup. <laughs> it is not a lineup. It is just a list of players in alphabetical order and their career stats <laughs> versus Noah Syndergaard. Uh so I was like. Beatty's hitting second and Eduardo Escobar's hitting fourth and they're both playing third base. That's crazy. Um, no, what a random not... thing that you found. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, let's, uh, so let's table that. We don't know if he's playing today, but where, where are you with Beatty? I mean, is he, 
Are you ready to call him up? You you assuming he's plugged in as their third baseman the rest of the way, despite the off day yesterday? So I'm excited about Brett Beatty, uh, obviously. Like, I think everybody is. I think there might be less of a need. Like, third base it has started off a lot deeper than I think we anticipated. The performances of guys like, you know, Spencer Steer, Josh Rojas has been really good. Taylor Walls hit two home runs the other day. Um, Pat Wisdom is the new Babe Ruth. So third base is pretty deep. Um, so you might not have as much of a need to get Beatty into your lineup. And if you don't have a need, then don't rush things um, because it was a, a extremely small sample size last season. It was less than 50 plate appearances, but he was pretty bad. I mean, he, I think he had a homer in like his first game and then and then he was pretty bad. Um, and he tore up the spring. He tore up the minors. But like we knew that Brett Beatty could be successful in the minor leagues and against minor league right. pitching. So that's not like new information. So now he gets another chance at major league pitching. Um, but the problem is for Beatty, unlike Taj Bradley, where I, I don't see a risk to his job. With Beatty, like they've got veterans on the bench ready to go. It's a team that's that's quick to pull the trigger to make a move. Um, it's a team that's not desperate for left-handed hitters. They've got plenty scattered throughout the lineup, including a switch hitter in Lindor. So like Beatty, I could see having a little bit shorter of a leash. I think there was a lot of pressure based on just how much he was destroying AAA. There was a lot of pressure to call him up. But now that he's here, if he struggles, you know, at the very least, we could see him losing play time to Eduardo Escobar. At the worst, we could ultimately see him sent down again. So I'm not rushing to call him up unless I have a need. And I probably don't have a need at the moment because of how deep the position has been. Yeah, I think that's that's fair. And I, you know, I, I do think looking at at matchups, Beatty, as you said, is a left-handed hitter. They were facing Clayton Kershaw yesterday. So it is entirely possible. I would say probable that one of two things is happening here. Either Beatty's in a platoon, but if he is, he's the big side of the platoon, so that's at least good. The other is that he was called up. He had a you know a little bit of a rough game in his debut, his, his debut for the year anyways, on Monday. And the team basically said, you know what we're not going to do? Make you face Clayton Kershaw tomorrow. <laughs> like, just consider it. Recover from this. Like, I, I actually, I, you know, I'm sometimes surprised that teams don't do that more often. Just like take your young kid that you are banking your future on and ease their path a little bit. Let them have some success. Don't like not not necessarily say, sorry, Brett, you're a lefty. You're a platoon guy. You can't face lefties. But like there's 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 a like we put you in the lineup versus a lefty. And then there's we put you in the lineup against maybe the greatest pitcher of the last 20 years. Right. So like I I I uh I think there's there's a lot that could be going on here. I would be concerned if he's not in the lineup today against Noah Syndergaard. Um and then I would just track whether he's facing lefties moving forward. But I'm with you. I think if you know, I, I've got one one of my leagues, my CBS league that I've that I've talked to you about, I've got Beatty and uh Mustaka Yoshida in minor league spots. And I haven't called either of them up because my outfield's fine. I've got a, a middle in or a corner infield situation. I'm pretty happy with. And at some point, if I need those guys, I'll make the move. But as it stands, I could, I could stash them for next year. If I want to, I'm going to have to call them up next year because of the way that league works, which is fine. I suspect I'll call them both up before it gets to that point. But for now, I'm, you know, they're more valuable as trade pieces while they're in a minor league spot. They are, they allow me to keep other guys on my roster. 
And so I, I'm with you. I do think that the big question on any of these guys is, do you need them? And I don't know of a team. I, I, I can't think of a team I have right now where I'd be like, yeah, Taj Bradley seems good, but I got plenty of pitching. Like, right. You, you never have enough pitching. So I'm more likely to call up Bradley for sure. Beatty, again, the first time I look at my lineup and I'm like, man, for the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be in trouble at third base and Beatty is starting to hit. I'll call him up. Until then, I'm happy to have him stashed. So let's uh, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we got, I said two injuries. We're talking about three injuries because Pete threw another one out there that we should cover. Eating is an emotional experience, which is why managing your weight needs to be a psychological one. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Start taking control of your weight management and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Sometimes it can feel like food has an emotional control over you. Well, it's time to show your food who's boss with Noom. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Start taking control of your weight management and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. All right, welcome back. Here are the three pitcher injuries we should talk about. Uh, Carlos Rodon, Brandon Woodruff, Jeffrey Springs. We already started. We already started with Springs. Let's let's keep going on him. Springs is having Tommy John surgery. In our Taj Bradley conversation, you said you know he's over thirty. He's having Tommy John. He doesn't have like a super long track record. Should he just be a cut? And I kind of think the answer is yes. This seems crazy because we had our overreaction episode like two weeks ago. And one of the statements I made that we had to overreact to or react to was that Jeffrey Springs was a Cy Young candidate. Turns out he's not. He is. He's not going to be a Cy Young candidate. Um, but I mean, I'm looking at this now. The timeline for Tommy John means maybe, maybe he's back late next year, but probably not. Um, this strikes me as a situation where, like, if the Rays are contending next year. So now we're getting into not this September, but next September. I could see a situation where they're like, we're contending. He's throwing. Let's get him back into our bullpen. I, I'd i be very surprised 
if he makes a start at the major league level before 2025. Does yeah, that- I think, you know, I, I, I probably agree with that, to be honest. I mean, he's a guy with not a lot of elbow history, so let's hope there's just a nice, clean surgery, move him right, right back in, and, and we're off and running. But I think it's almost easier to look at what are the situations where he wouldn't be a cut, right? I mean, I guess one way to look at it would be if you maybe last season – you got him for a buck in your Otney league, which would have been tough. You would have had it done that before he really had like any starts. And then he really didn't get killed in arbitration. You get $2 tacked on this year. Like is that price, whatever it ends up being, let's say it's five, seven bucks on the cheapest end for Jeffrey Springs. How did that compare to like what Chris Sale went for in your auctions when he had Tommy John? How did that compare with Severino? How did that compare with, uh, I know there's a couple names, Clevenger maybe. I don't think it's fair to compare it to Boz, right? Because Boz is much younger. And I just got Shane Boz for $5 in a new auction this offseason. So like now that's already, like that that still makes Springs a cut because I'm not going to pay more for Springs coming off Tommy John than I am for Shane Boz. So there's very limited situations where he is not a cut. Uh, in your super deep keeper leagues, you got him off free agency last season. So he's worth like a 28th round to keep. And next year he's a 26th. I mean, okay, but now who are you giving up to keep instead? Because if it's somebody that's going to produce a single stat in 2024, then that player might be more valuable, not only for this year, but for next year as well. Um, so you're really boxing yourself into a corner by committing to Jeffrey Springs to keep him no matter how cheap he is. So Unfortunately, if he's a player you really like, we'll just get him back when he's closer to returning and pay up a little bit if it looks like things are going well. But right now, I'm having a hard time coming up with a situation where he is not a cut. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think in, you know, outside out of new, if you've got sort of unlimited IL spots or enough IL spots that it doesn't matter, sure, stash him. Within out of new, I think the combination of, clearing salary which is valuable and the fact that he's not on the 60 day il so he's using up a roster spot for you i yeah i i think i just move on um i'm it's unfortunate because like i said he, he was pitching so well oh, and disgusting it's but like i said he'll be you know he turns 32 on September 20th, or 2024. So next year, he turns, next season, he'll turn 32. That's around when he'll come back. So you're talking about a guy who has made, you know, he made two starts for Texas in 2018, but effectively has 28 career starts under his belt just over the last two years. Was was a, a reliever before that. Um, is going to be 32 years old, coming off Tommy John surgery, for max a month, maybe two months of the season next year. And I just, I'm not, I'm not sitting on that. I'm just not. And so I'm, I'm moving on. Uh, Chad, I have some breaking news for you. Oh yeah. It's very low stakes, but it is my Red Sox. It's a player that I was targeting in a few um, new leagues this off season. And Manuel Valdez will make his MLB debut at second base. Um, Ooh. actually, I don't know if that's his MLB debut. I can't remember if he got garbage time last year or not, but whatever the case, he's making his 2023 debut tonight against the twins at second base. I think it hasn't been announced yet. My guess is the corresponding move is that Christian Arroyo is going to land on the injured list. So hmm. if you're in a really deep league, um, 
he hasn't done much in the minors this season, but he kind of tore it up last year. Uh, power threat from second base. So Emmanuel Valdez, lefty second baseman for the Red Sox, is up. Good to know. That's it. He he is an interesting name. So that's that'll be a uh, be fun to see how he performs. Back to our pitcher injuries. The other two guys. These are not necessarily new injuries, but there's been updates on what's going on. Let's start with Brandon Woodruff. Um, this is new, actually. It was they just announced on Sunday that you know he we knew he was having some shoulder pain. It was diagnosed as mild subscapular strain. Ugh, sounds so, terrible. That doesn't sound pleasant, although it does no, say mild. Awful. So hey, sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I'm looking at uh, a article from Dan Shimborski on Fangraphs, and he's saying he ex- you know a trip to the 60 day IL may be in order. Uh, yeah, and and Brandon Woodruff himself had said that if this had happened mid season around the All Star break, right before or after that time, I would probably end up being done to be honest for the season. So he also said he's not going to rush it. He wants to wait to come back. He is also a player who, and I'm going to double check this because I want to make sure I have this right, but he is, he, he's in his arbitration years, I think. And he has one more year of arbitration left. And so it puts him in a unique situation where he's not a free agent coming up. My guess is, he wants to get back on the mound and pitch because his ability to get paid in arbitration will matter. But if you're Brandon Woodruff, the important thing is not being not your arbitration payment in 2024. The important thing is your free agent value at the end of 2024. And so the worst thing he can do is rush back, injure his shoulder badly, and end up out for the 2024 season, right? He needs to end 2024 strong. And so that is probably his focus. Um, may not be the team's focus, but that'll be his focus. And that's uh, that's concerning for me, right? If, he, if he's saying if this happened around the All-Star break, he'd be done. All-Star break is early July. Done means none of July, none of August, none of September. Putting that to a mid-April timeline, that means... Mid-May, mid-June, mid-July means he's not back until after the All-Star break at this point. Say somewhere between July 15th, August 1st. And that's just him saying, yeah, I'd probably be done. We actually don't have a timeline on him yet. They haven't really clearly announced sort of when they expect him to be back. I think it's he's shut down for a few weeks and then they're going to reevaluate kind of thing. Uh, And so... I mean, there was a debate in the auto news Slack this morning about like, what do you do with a $30 Woodruff? And I, I, I think you have to at least be open to cutting him. Um, if you don't need the cash and you don't need the roster spot, I can understand wanting to stash him, but I don't know. I don't know that I think that, you know, paying him 32, 33, $34, whatever it is next year is that much of a bargain. The the downside of cutting him then is not what you lose because you're not going to get a ton from him this year anyways, but is that you, you, you end up, you know, opening up the possibility that somebody else in your league grabs him for 15, 17, $19. And then he is a value next year. 
But I guess my question to you, Pete, is would you cut a $30 Woodruff? And regardless of whether your answer to that is yes or no, what's the price at which you change your mind? Like if you're like, you know, I, I'd keep him at 30. What's the price at which you'd say, forget it. I'm just done. And if you cut him at 30, what's the price below that at which you're like, uh, I don't know if I want to make that cut anymore. So honestly, no matter what the price is for Brandon Woodruff right now, I can't cut him. I can't do it. I, like I, until I get more news, because it's so early in the season, and I've built so much of my team clearly around. If you have a player that's thirty dollars or more, I mean, he's a significant part of your roster's build. And so, unless I've really like, unless my rotation is super deep and I really need the cash to build up my hitting, like it's not something I'm even really considering at this point. I need more news. Um, I, I'm glad you read the quote from Woodruff because as a fantasy manager, especially, and, and somebody who wants Baron Woodruff to be healthy, that's like actually refreshing to read. It's not like, rah, rah, I'm going to get out on the field as soon as possible. It's, I mean, it's financially motivated like you identified, but it gives me hope that even if I don't, it, let's say I get Woodruff back in late August instead of, you know, right after the All-Star break, I'm going to be more confident that maybe he's actually healthy than if he comes back in July. And I'm like, well, I, <laughs> at any moment this could go and I'm trying to shop him and nobody has interest. At least if I have $30 invested in Brandon Woodruff and I have the ability to eat that for now, whenever I do eventually get him back, I will have a healthy Brandon Woodruff. And that is important yeah. because of the current landscape of pitching. So I just, I think he's just too hard of a cut right now period. How, how could you cut a player of that caliber without getting the whole story? Like, I at least want to know what's going on before I cut him. Yeah. I, I'm a little torn because in some cases I, I need the cash. Sure. And so like, I'm looking at my leagues right now, my auto new leagues specifically, I have, I'm in seven auto new leagues. I roster him in three of them. So this, this, Took a bite out of me, right? I was pretty high in Woodruff coming into the season. Now, the Fangraph staff league that you and I are both in, the head-to-head that we're in, mm-hmm. I have him for $23. Niv and I, Niv and I co-manage that team. We've been like just throwing money around and we still have $70 of cap space. And it's a head-to-head league. So if he comes back in July or August and he's pitching well and we've made it to the playoffs, I'm still getting what I need from him. And so I don't think he and I are, are seriously considering a cut there. I'm in another league where I have him for $27 and I've got $5 a cap space and my pitching in that league, I had to Grom in that league and I traded him to get Aaron judge, which I'm fine with. Like, you know, I'm okay with that trade, but my pitching in that league is now McClanahan. Who's great. Framber Valdez, who I love. Lance Lynn, who I was really high on, but has really struggled. Logan Webb, who I'm really high on, but has really struggled. Andrew Haney, who I think seems to be bouncing back. He had a, he had a rough first start, but I think he's going to be fine. Logan Gilbert's been very good. Um, Justin Steele's been very good. And then I've got like Ken Waldachuk, who's been finally had a decent start, but has been generally bad. Um and I'm trying to think like that's that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Oh, Anthony Desclafani, who I've been very happy with. So wait, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I have nine healthy starters right now in that league. I've got Tarek Scooball on the 60 day, Brandon Woodruff on the 15. And among those nine healthy starters, I've got like 
I hope Lynn Webb and Haney are going to be fine. I hope Waldachuk's turning it around, but like there are some real question marks of that rotation right now. And at $27, I am borderline. Like I've only got five bucks to spend. If somebody pops up as a free agent that I just, the opportunity is right and it can make the difference. Like I'm not convinced that I'm going to hold Woodruff there. The other league I've got him in is the podcasters league where I have him for $30. Now that league as of right now, I have $7 to spend, which isn't a ton, but is fine. I've also got, um, I have a couple of guys in that league I could cut. And my biggest need in that league is not starting pitching. My starting pitching actually hasn't been great, but like I should get Joe Musgrove back soon. I hope um, I've got Framber Valdez, Blake Snell. I still believe is going to turn around. Freddie Peralta has been very good for me. Pablo Lopez has been great for me. Desclafani has been good. Alex Cobb has been good. Like I've got, I've got some guys I feel good about there. And my team is as of right now doing quite well. Now I do need wins. Wins is my worst category. I have, I have five points in wins in that league. So I may need to find a way to replace Woodruff at some point, but I think I can do that without having to cut him. So it's an interesting scenario where like my $27 Woodruff, because that team, where that team is and what I think I need, I'm more likely to cut than my $30 Woodruff as of right now. But if I get news in the next couple of weeks that like, you know, he's really being shut down. I also want to look at this, this injury and see like, have other pitchers who had this injury come back and pitched well? Or is this the kind of thing that like, he's going to come back in August and have to work through some rust and not have his control. And like in April, he'll be good to go. But the end of this year is going to be a, a mess regard. Like, I, I just don't know what to expect. So I've got to do some digging into that. But I think for me right now, I'm more likely to hold him in head-to-head leagues as long as I still think I can make the playoffs. And I would say it's starting around 25 bucks that I'm like, I've got to at least consider cutting him if my team needs the cash, but I'm not, I'm not jumping to make that move today. Yeah. I think, well, that I think hits the nail on the head, right? Like in that league where you only got five bucks to spend at some point, will it make sense cutting Woodruff? It could. And at least that affords you the ability to wait and get any more news on him instead of just cutting him now and hoping that a pitcher appears on the waiver wire that you're willing to spend more than $5 on, but at least you've bought yourself a little bit of time here to get some more news on Woodruff. Cause that's just such a hard player to cut until we know more. Yeah. So the other pitcher I wanted to talk about Carlos Rodon, he, he's on the IL for his forearm, which when it happened, he was like, I could pitch through it if I needed to, but let's please don't safe. Carlos. Yes. <laughs> Uh, now his back is quote unquote, still barking. So apparently his back's been bothering him and he will undergo tests according to Aaron Boone. Um, the Yankees apparently don't think there's anything wrong, but like, which tells us nothing. Cause they never right. think anything's wrong. And then all their players yeah. end up with massive surgeries. Right. So what are you doing with Carlos Rodon? praying <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean he's uh, to the extent of my knowledge he's not a guy who's dealt with back issues right so the fact that the forearm feels fine makes me feel great 
The fact that the back was, quote, barking, uh, and he still got through the bullpen session, tells me that at this point in time, it's clearly not so serious that he can't throw. So maybe it right. is actually mild, and he'll be okay. Yeah. It's just really frustrating because I think those of us that took him thought like, oh, man, this is going to be a pretty sweet discount because obviously everybody's flipping out that Carlos Rodon is having forearm struggles. But if it really is just mild, we are taking a risk here. But if it really is, then we're getting what is essentially a top five pitcher in fantasy just yeah. by taking you know two weeks to a month off, but if this turns into something prolonged, I, <laughs> I, I don't know. So I'm doing nothing. I mean, if you tough, if you drafted Carlos Rodon with a forearm strain, then you can stomach a barking back. Um, but yeah. it does. It just sucks. That's that's all I can really say about it. No, it does suck, and it's this weird circumstance where, like, as of right now, it's like Woodruff as an example. There's a lot of uncertainty. But he's not pitching in April. He's not pitching in May. He's not pitching in June. We know that. After that, all bets are off. Rodon, like, if the next announcement is that Rodon is starting next week, that isn't totally crazy. Like, yeah, he probably needs a rehab start or two. So maybe that's a little aggressive. Maybe it's two weeks. But, like, he literally could go for tests. They could be like, yeah, nothing's structurally wrong. He wakes up the next day and he's like, oh, the back's feeling good. Throws an effective bullpen. And makes a couple rehab starts. Like that could be all it takes. Yeah. Um, or he could have uh, something wrong in his back and his season could be over. Like it's just all oh, over. Oh, Jesus. The place. Don't say that. Oh my God. <laughs> well, I'm just I, I'm just saying, like it's it is, it's it's all over the place, right? We have no idea. And the concern I have with with back stuff is it can linger. And so I I'm of here's where I am with with Carlos Rodon. If I think I can trade him to somebody who expects him to be back mid-May and will pay me mid-May through the end of the season value for Carlos Rodon, I would probably take it and cash out now. Wow. But it has to be fair value for 75% of a season of Carlos Rodon, right? Like it's not, I'm not saying I'm going to sell low. I mean, I guess maybe that is selling low, but it's... I think I would take the opportunity to get out of the risk if I can sell for a good chunk of the upside, right? Maybe the real upside is he's back May 1st instead of May 15th. And so I'm saying, yeah, like, you know, if you, if you'll pay me for May 15th to the end of the season, I would do it. That said, I don't think anyone's making me that offer right now because there's too much risk. And as a result, I'm probably, uh, I'm just sitting here refreshing so let me throw Carlos some... Rodon, hoping good things happen. <laughs> so let me throw some pitchers at you and I'll ask, you know, would you trade him straight up for this pitcher? And this is a guy okay. who you're going to talk about later, but we'll start with him. Would you trade your Carlos Rodon with his back barking for Joe Ryan? Oh, boy. Uh, it would depend on the salaries. Okay. Uh, what about I mean, in a non-salary league? So, I mean, I, I guess I would get, then it, then it depends on the keeper cost, I guess. Like whatever, the, whatever the, okay. like whatever keeper cost exists, if I'm getting, you know, if I can keep Joe Ryan for an 18th round pick instead of Carlos Rodon for a third, 
I'm probably going to take Ryan. I, I think he's, and we'll, we'll talk about Ryan later. I'm very excited about Joe Ryan. I've been excited about Joe Ryan for like three years, so it's not a surprise. Yeah, it really has now, been, but I'm... folks. Right. If you've just joined <laughs> us recently, Chad has been on the Joe Ryan train since before you knew the name Joe Ryan. So there yeah. is that. So I'm, I am, I am excited about Joe Ryan. Still, I'm more excited about him now. And so you, I feel like you like baited me here. You were like, "What <laughs> name can I throw out there that Chad couldn't possibly turn down?" I, I think like if in a in a redraft league, I I think I'd want something a little bit more than Ryan. Because okay. I still think you're going to get most of a season out of Rodon. And I still think, as much as I like Joe Ryan, Rodon is he's just that good. Um, in a keeper league where I'm going to assume that it is cheaper to keep Joe Ryan. I I, I mean, so I'm looking now. I have, I have Carlos Rodon in a couple leagues. I have a $23 Carlos Rodon in League One. The original Auto New League. Let me see where Joe Ryan is in that one. Joe Ryan is rostered for $6. And if that team, you know, Ben and Miller, if you guys are listening, if that team shot me a $6 Joe Ryan for $23 Carlos Rodon offer, I think I would take it. Yeah, I I, I think I would take that too. I'm kicking myself because I dealt a relatively cheap i can't remember how cheap he was joe ryan for dj lemayhu when i was on my big dj lemayhu kick but in my defense dj has has been quite good himself let me throw two more out at you chad uh so we can get the emotion out of it with joe ryan (laughs) um carlos Rodon, would you trade him knowing his back is barking for christian javier who i think most people would have but javier's just been fine since the season started against very poor opponents by the way other than Toronto, yeah. he has faced Toronto, Pittsburgh, who he gave up four earned runs to and only struck out three. Detroit, who is good. He was good against Detroit. I'm not saying he was bad there. And the White Sox. So not exactly world beaters have been on the schedule. Um, so interestingly, I also have Christian Javier in that league that I league one. So I good can't do have. the same thing. Yeah, I, I like Javier, but I, I think I mean, the reality is right now. I have this, I, it's a different issue, but I have concerns about Javier also. So sure. in that case, it's like, there are two pitchers I really like. Rodon is, like, I have I have far fewer concerns about Rodon's performance than I do about Javier's. And I think in that case, I'd rather take, I'd rather keep Rodon and stick with the guy who's, whose performance I trust, at least for now. So to give you a sense of what's going on out in the the market um, in Fangraphs points leagues, there have been three trades in the last roughly one week that include Carlos Rodon. You ready for these? I'm ready. Number one, $11 Carlos Rodon for an $8 Jeremy Pena. Oh my God. I feel like you're waiting for me to say who else is, is going with Pena. Ugh. But there's there's no one else. That's it. Okay. Definitely keep Rodon there, right? Yep. Okay. Trade number two. $20 Rodon and a $34 Manny Machado for a $24 Byron Buxton and a $29 Luis Castillo. Ooh. Uh, because it's a $24 Byron Buxton, I am absolutely taking the Carlos Rodon side, but I love a $29 Castillo. 
Yeah, I think like Rodon, like a twenty dollar Rodon plus something for twenty nine dollar Castillo, I could totally see doing right now. Um, the problem with that is, I feel like this this person is really selling low on a thirty four dollar Manny Machado who has not been great so far, and we're going to talk about Buxton a little bit later, so I'm not going to go into more on him, but I'm not I'm not that excited. The last <laughs> trade, and this is this is a doozy. There's a lot going on here, so bear with me. A $25 Rodon, a $39 Corey Seager, who's also out for a while, $9 Tyler O'Neill, $20 Edwin Diaz, and $2 Christopher Morrell. Why is so anybody an injured Seager, an injured Rodon, a struggling Tyler O'Neill, whose manager hates him, and an injured Edwin Diaz, and Christopher Morrell, who... Woo! <laughs> the return on that is a $29 Shane Bieber, a $1 Franchi Cordero, a $33 Max Muncy, and a $1 Chris Stratton. This is such a weird trade. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you, if you uh... try to break this into parts a little bit, right? You've got, you've got a reliever on both sides, Edwin Diaz for Chris Stratton. $20 Diaz for $1 Stratton, I would take Stratton. At least he's pitching and... I don't want to keep a $22 Diaz anymore. Yeah, free up the money. At middle infield, you're moving an injured $39 Seager for a healthy $33 Max Muncy. At starting pitcher, you're moving an injured $25 Rodon for a healthy $29 Bieber. In the outfield, you're moving a $9 Tyler O'Neill for a $1 Franchi Cordero. And then Morrell is also going with all the injured dudes. Um... I I have a hard time making you react to this because there's so much going on there. I, I think at the end of the day, I I don't know that I understand either side of this trade. The guy <laughs> giving up all the injured players. Like the, so you're giving up all these injured players, and that's I get that. So maybe this is just a like Seeger's gonna be out a while, Diaz is done for the year, Rodon is, you know, you've that person's decided Rodon is done. And they're just getting what they can get. Yikes. Right? For they're deciding getting they, that. They, what? Yikes if they thought Rodon is yeah. done. Well, or just injured for long enough that like because if you look at this, like Rodon, you know, Bieber, Bieber's been fine, but not particularly good. But he's gonna he's gonna throw his innings. He's out there and right. he's gonna be out there every time. And so fine. Muncie versus Seeger. Seeger is clearly better than Muncie right now, but one of them is on the field. The other one is not. Um, so, you know, Tyler O'Neill versus Franchi Cordero. I know we need that like Spider-Man meme of them pointing at themselves. No, right? don't like, say that about poor Tyler O'Neill. <laughs> big power, toolsy, runs well. Yeah, but O'Neill's at least put it together for more than like a week. Franchi couldn't even care. make the Orioles. <laughs> he couldn't that, even make yeah, the Red well, Sox. No, I... I'm just saying <laughs> there are a lot of similarities there. And the fact that one of them put together for a season doesn't change the fact that there's a lot of similarities there. Tyler, um, if you're listening, I think you're better than <laughs> Franchi Cordero. <laughs> yeah, I'm being, I'm being a little, a little, uh, I'm going a little over the top there. They, they, Tyler O'Neill is <laughs> Tyler O'Neill is the rich man's Franchi Cordero, right? They are, they, like there are similarities there. O'Neill is the best outcome for a Cordero. Sure. So I'm I, I I'm being a little, a little <laughs> facetious, but uh, 
I don't know. I just sort of look at that and it's like, I feel like this team trading all these injured players has downgraded at a bunch of spots. They haven't saved any money, but the team taking on all the injured players is overloading their team with injuries that are going to make it really hard to compete today. And like, are you really that much more excited about keeping $39 Seager versus $33 Muncie? Are you really that much more excited about keeping? I mean, Rodon twenty five versus Bieber twenty nine. Yeah, maybe you are. I, I don't. Maybe know. that's what it's it about. It, yeah, it could be. It, it could just be about Rodon. Not that I mean, a Seager yeah. is awesome, and it's it's a hamstring, right? So, yeah. It, once he's I, those things tend to linger, but assuming he takes his time coming back, you're getting easily, in my opinion, the two best players in the trade. So if yeah. you can stomach uh, this, the absence from those two guys, yeah. Then, then I, I guess it's worth. That's the only angle I understand this from is that particular manager being like, maybe I built up a big lead, or you know, I, I can just simply sustain having two elite players in the IL to massively upgrade in a few weeks. Um, that that could make it worth it. But ish, that's such a weird trade. Why is anybody rostering Chris Stratton right now? <laughs> yeah, for what it's worth, the team that that took those injured guys is in last place in that league, but. On a points like on a points per game basis, they're the best team in that league. On a points per inning pitch basis, they're sort of middle of the pack. And so if they can if they can catch up on games played and innings pitch, they could they could be in the mix. Mm-hmm. Um so I'm I'm yeah, I'm not really sure. Their their trade block isn't much help because the things they're offering up in trade are like Garrett Mitchell and Drew Jones and James Outman, which are great pieces to offer up if you're buying. And then Shohei Otani and Chris Bryant, who are good pieces to offer up if you're selling. So I don't know what that team's doing, but um, they also, they won the league last year and have won multiple times in the past. I I suspect it's what you said. I think the team that is getting Rodon and Seager has said, I will just live with the pain for the next few weeks, whatever it is, because I've got the, I'm getting the best players here. The other team I think is, basically just saying I want healthy players, right? I'm going to, I'm going to get, get rid of the risk and go get players who are going to help me right now today. And I can understand that as well. So it's, it is just a, it's just a weird trade. There's just so much going on there. So anyways, let's take another quick break and then we'll come back and after almost an hour, get to the topic of the episode. (laughs) There's been a lot of news. Yeah, a lot of news. We'll be right back. When it comes to weight management, we tend to put our focus on what we eat, but Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat, and that's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain, and they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Try Noom today and see the results for yourself. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com 
to sign up for your trial today. All right. Welcome back. We are finally getting through the news, talking about the topic of the episode, which was stats that stand out. And so this was us each just looking at some numbers that that popped up that we were like, that is an interesting statistic. I wasn't expecting that or that tells me something or whatever. So let's uh, let's try to get this done relatively quickly. So Pete, I'll let you go first. Pick one of yours. Give me a quick rundown of, of the stat and why it's interesting to you. Sweet. Uh, so this should be a huge victory lap for me, but it's not. Um, Josh Lowe. I, I love him and I'm very excited. And obviously, you know, I talked about him a few weeks ago before the season started. He was a target of mine. Um, and because especially of the Jose Siri injury, Lowe's gotten a lot more playtime, even against lefties lately. It's not every start against lefties, but he's 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 hit against lefties. Um, and he's been awesome. But something that stuck out to me when I look at his pitcher list page and everything else, his, his average exit velocity is looking weak. Now, I, I feel like I, I'm just going to say it for both Chad and I right now. We understand the sample sizes are small. Okay, so there it is. We got it out of the way. We are content creators. We have to create content. So here we go. Uh, it's just 35 batted balls. And so a, a, a couple of games of some good hard hits will change this. But when I see just 10th percentile average exit velocity, like that, that worries me just a little bit. And so I said, all right, he must be hitting for an exorbitant BABIP then. And he is, his BABIP is up around 387. Now he's a, he's a quick player. Um, so it's not all that surprising that he could maintain a little bit of a high BABIP. But I do think some regression for Lowe is coming. And we also know that Tampa Bay loves to play platoons. They'll be getting Jose Siri back. They still have Harold Ramirez. So if those guys come back and Lowe begins to regress to the mean just a little bit, because that BABIP is, and obviously that batting average is due for some regression, he might be a decent sell high. I just think you might have a hard time convincing another manager that like, this is just who Josh Lowe is. So come and pay for him so I can get out now. Um, but the average exit velocity of Josh Lowe is the stat that sticks out to me. And that is 85.6 miles per hour could change dramatically before this episode even airs in like an hour, but that's where it's at right, right. now. Yeah. I, I would note on him that his max EV of 109.4 is 67th percentile. Um, his hard hit rate is 30th percentile, which is not good, but is a lot better than the 10th percentile average exit velocity. His barrel rate is 70th percentile. So I, I think my, my, my message on him is I think that the, uh, I think that the average exit velocity, so average exit velocity is not my favorite stat to use anyways. I, I often sure. mention it because I think it is telling, but it is not as important as others. And it's particularly not telling for him, I think. Um, but we also don't really know that yet, right? We're still just sort of learning what he is. And, you know, it could be that that hard hit rate and that barrel rate start to correct towards the average exit velocity instead of the other way around. Um, yeah, I, I have Josh Lowe in a few places. I like him best in deep leagues where I have a bench spot where I don't have to use him because I expect the Rays to platoon him, because I expect the Rays, to be honest, to send him down at some point. Like, I don't know that he's going to be up the rest of the season. Oh, it's that just... worries me. <laughs> well, I'm just looking at realistically at their their roster, and they've got, you know, Lowe is a lefty, Luke Rayleigh is a lefty. They've got, uh, what's his name? You said Siri coming back. 
And at some point, like, they're going to want to give a look to guys like Jonathan Aranda, who's also a lefty, possibly Kyle Manzardo, who is also a lefty. Um, looking at, you know, they don't really have a ton of exciting outfielders they'd call up. So maybe maybe it is just those guys. Oh, Curtis Mead. Curtis Mead's a righty, and so he's maybe less of a th- direct threat. But I, they're going to they're gonna move guys around. That's just I will the way say, they work. And in terms of like, if I want to take a positive spin, because I know it's been a little bit of a negative spin on Josh Lowe, if I want to take a positive, the number one thing that I I said when we talked about him as as late targets that we like, I can't even remember what the topic was, was to watch his strikeout rate. Um, at last year at the major league level, it was thirty three point three percent in the minors at AAA through three hundred fifty one plate appearances. It's not a small sample size, and it was almost two hundred at the major leagues. Are not not too small. Like it's enough. We can make some judgments here in terms of plate discipline. Was thirty two point eight. So the fact that so far this year, seventeen point four percent. Like that's yeah. something's changed. So that does get me a little bit excited. But obviously, if he gets sent down or anything like that, and as the Babbitt progresses, he is a uh, red flag. Yeah, but I think uh, I my my point on him being sent down is I feel like in a shallow league, I'm concerned about that. In auto new, I'm not. Like oh, I yeah, do no. think there's a good chance he spends some time in the minors again this year. Um, because I think he will go through a slump and they'll need to move stuff around and they'll want to give other guys a look, but I, I don't think it's like, he's going to get sent down and be done. I think he'll go down for a little while. He'll be back. And so I like having space for that. But that said, if he keeps hitting the way he has, uh, he's not going to get sent down. <laughs> like that's, he, he's just going to be in the lineup. Basically every day a righty is on the mound. Um, the other thing, by the way, and his average exit velocity, that's worth noting his pull rate is 45.7%. Mm. If you're pulling the ball that much, you can get away with a little bit of a lower average exit velocity. Uh, and so that is a, that's a great, great sign for him. So I am still like, like I said, a little bit cautious in shallower leagues in auto new leagues. Like I want this guy on my roster average exit velocity. Nah, I'll deal. Uh, let me give you one of my stats. I'm going to talk two players at once because, and I, I looked at this last night, and so it may not be true anymore, but your MLB leaders in strikeout percentage as hitters, number one and number two, Byron Buxton and Jazz Chisholm. Uh, and those are, boy, those are two big names to be at the top of that list. Take them one at a time. Jazz, despite the high strikeout rate, is actually swinging a lot less and chasing a lot less. And the problem for him is his contact rate is way down. And that's sort of a an unexpected development for me. Like, if I if you had said to me two months ago that, you know, three weeks into the season, two half weeks into the season, whatever it is, Jazz Chisholm was going to be chasing a lot less, I just would have been ecstatic to hear that. And it wouldn't have occurred to me that like, yeah, but he's also not making contact. And so he's leading the league in strikeouts. Like that's just not, not where I would have expected it to go. There's also some good news here that if you look at a graph, like a rolling chart of his stats, his chase rate is trending down. So it's low, but it's also moving the right direction. And his contact rate has been trending up. So that's, that is, those are good signs. He's already got three home runs and five stolen bases. His center field defense looks pretty pretty solid and is improving. I think I saw yesterday he's like something like 91st percentile in outfield jumps. And keep in mind, outfield jump is not how quickly you get to the ball. It's how quickly you react to the ball, right? So we would expect Jazz Chisholm to be one of the best in center field at closing the gap between him and the ball. But the fact that he's 
getting such good jumps says he's he's taking to this spot pretty well, which is a great sign. I, I think his K rate's going to come down because he's chasing less and being more selective at the plate. And if that happens, uh, I mean, I know I don't have to sell you on Jazz Chisholm, but <laughs> there's there's big potential here, even even beyond what he's been doing. Buxton, meanwhile, is swinging more. Um, and his exit velocity is down. His hard hit rate is down. His barrel rate is actually fine, but it's only five barrels. So like if he had four barrels instead of five, it'd be down. It would be like, what's wrong? So I'm not reading too much into that. I think my concern with Buxton is the twins have played 17 games. He's played 16 of them and he's been bad. And you know that there's a 50 game, IL stint coming up at some point <laughs> and like to justify the cost. Well, then there'll be another one for 20 more. And another, <laughs> but, but my point is that like when you have, if you're rostering Buxton to justify his cost, you need him to be elite when he's on the field. And he's not only not elite right now, he's not good. And so that's pretty concerning for me. I, I think it, you, you get into the spot with him where it's like, I think he's a better hitter than his 296 Woba so far. I do think he'll turn things around at some point. He will perform better, right? He just, he will. But this isn't just bad luck. Like his ex Woba is 293. He has earned every bit of this 296 Woba. And you, you know, to get right, he needs to stay on the field and you just can't count on that happening. So you're really riding through a slump where right now, if you're like, oh, when's he going to break out of the slump? I'd be like, I don't know, probably after his next IL stint. And like, so I'm pretty nervous. Now, I was nervous about Byron Buxton all offseason. I don't have him anywhere. Nervous. So this doesn't really you are affect me. straight up opposed. Yeah, nervous yeah. is putting it lightly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, fair enough. I, I was not in on Buxton. I am still not in on Buxton. But it, if I were in on Buxton, this would be very concerning for me. Because if I had drafted Buxton or I kept him in an auto new league or whatever, my thinking would have been he's going to do great things for me in April and then he'll miss May. And he'll do good things for me for part of June and then he'll miss half of June and through the All-Star break. And then he'll do great things for me. And all. Like, but now you've lost that. You've lost 16 of the maybe 100 games you could count on from him have been terrible. And I, I'm so now you're looking at him and you're like, Okay, now I need him to stay healthy longer to get the value I needed, which I was already a bad bet, and I need him to perform better. And there's real concerns in his profile. He's not hitting the ball as well. He's striking out a ton. I'm, I'd be pretty nervous. Yeah, I mean, I'll be super quick in my response because I think we're probably going to be pretty much lockstep. You know, I like Jazz more than you. If if you take their current numbers and paste them out for 600 plate appearances. Jazz is going to hit 26 homers or, or 26 homers with 44 stolen bases. That's his current 600 plate appearance approach or, or projection. Will he get there? Probably not. But if, if he just continued this current pace, even with striking out as much as he struck out, he would have 26 homers and 44 stolen bases. Byron Buxton, if you pace out his numbers for 600 plate appearances, which by the way, he will not get 18 homers and no stolen bases. <laughs> like that, Huge difference there. So obviously I don't want to see Jazz striking out, but um, I have way more concerns, obviously, because he was taken later in drafts, to be fair. 
on Buxton than I do Jazz Chisholm. Yeah, totally fair. Go to your next guy. Who's the next guy you want to talk about? Uh, so the next player I want to talk about is Graham Ashcraft, who's obviously very exciting. Um, uh, this really got kickstarted because I read an awesome article on fan graphs from Nicholas Nicholas Gout. I hope I'm saying that name correctly. Um, he wrote a tremendous article um, that really, I mean, he's just a, a really good writer. I really <laughs> suggest to anybody to read this article. I learned a lot, especially about Stuff Plus, and he linked a, a primer to Stuff Plus in there as well. It was not written by him, but something he promoted. Anyway, um, Ashcraft has been kind of like the Stuff Plus darling um, this offseason. He was a late target of a lot of people because of that, and he has been terrific. I mean, you've gotten pretty much what you were hoping to get. I'm kind of pr- promoting Graham Ashcraft here as a sell high. Um, not because I think he's a bust or, or that like he's overperforming, which actually, of course, he's overperforming. He has a 1.42 ERA. He's overperforming. But if you look at like any of his ERA estimators, they're all pretty consistently at least two runs higher than his current ERA, which I can live with. And we've had pitchers in the past uh, out consistently outperform their ERA estimators, right? I, I think Shane Bieber comes to mind, um, but regardless, there's there's pitchers who consistently outperform their ERA estimators. But I mean, it's all of them. I mean, it's FIP, it's XFIP, it's Sierra, it's expected ERA. All of those kind of suggest that Ashcraft has really, to this point, kind of lucked out. Um, but the stat that, uh, other than really the ERA estimators, which I, I put for this discussion, the stat I want to talk about was his XFIP of 3.94. But if you look at his swinging strike rate, you would think it's like, you know, definitely gone up this year and he throws such heat. He's he gets a lot of seam shifted wake on that sinker. Like maybe he's he's striking guys out. It's still just nine point three percent. Now, that's up from the eight point four percent swinging strike rate he had last season. But that's still like well below league average. So now we're talking about a pitcher who in five by five is not going to get you a lot of wins. He's not going to get you a lot of strikeouts. And even though he should be good in ERA and whip because he does get a ton of ground balls, which I love, he still pitches in Cincinnati and at home. So it's kind of hard to call Graham Ashcraft a, a sell high because you have to have good pitching to sell a pitcher like Graham Ashcraft right now. And almost nobody has good pitching. But if you are somebody who really lucked out, maybe you did draft strong pitching and you also took Graham Ashcraft late. Well, you could really do a number on somebody in a trade by selling them at Graham Ashcraft was an ERA under one and a half in the current state of pitching. Cause he's obviously not going to stay this good. Yeah. I think that's a good point. I, I would note from, from my perspective, I think the thing that stands out about Ashcraft's XFIP is actually slightly different than yours, which is it's still below four. Like for a guy who put up a 4.89 ERA last year, who's, projections are all for mid fours types ERA. The fact that his his ERA predictors are mostly still below four is to me a positive sign. But I think you're right that it's a positive sign that he's going to be good, not a positive sign that he's going to put up a one and a half ERA or even a two and a half ERA the rest of the year, right? Like it's going to be mid to high threes. That's That's a good pitcher to have. But I absolutely think like, if you can find someone who's, you know, I, I can almost see trading for him or trading him away. Like if you have someone who's like, I don't know, projections still say four and a half ERA and you can get him for that price, go do it. If you've got someone who's like, yeah, I know he's not going to be a 1.42, but I'll bet he'll be a 3.0 instead of a, you know, almost 4.0. 
I would I would sell him to the guy who thinks he's going to be a three point out. So that's that makes a ton of sense to me. Uh, the next name for me, and unfortunately, this statistic is already untrue. It was true when I looked it up last night, but it's not entirely true now. Miguel Vargas, his 15.6% chase rate as of last night was the best in baseball. As of right now, his 16.1% chase rate is the second best in all of baseball. Um, I had noted that the guy right behind him was Mike Trout. That's actually still true. Lamont Wade is the one who passed him. So the, 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 the least likely to chase hitters in baseball among qualified hitters are Lamont Wade Jr., Miguel Vargas, and Mike Trout. The thing that stands out to me with Vargas, though, is his zone swing is actually sort of middle of the pack. Again, as of last night, he was 93rd out of 192 qualified hitters in zone swing. So he isn't just passive. Right. He's not just standing up there and taking every pitch, taking every pitch, and so he doesn't chase because he doesn't swing. He's getting his cuts in against pitches in the zone. Um, he's just refusing to offer at literally anything that isn't a strike. He's just showing an absolutely elite eye. Now, the concern here is that the contact quality hasn't been great. Stat cast sliders, not the end, you know, they're they're not the the end of the world uh for anyone. But again, as of last night, I can pull them up again now. But the sliders for exit velocity, max exit velocity, hard hit, and barrels were all between the 41st and 57th percentiles. Um, Now, his ex-WOBA slider was much higher thanks to a 100th percentile walk rate. So, you know, it's not all bad news, but it's not all good news either, right? It's sort of a, a mixed bag where I'm like, pitchers are coming into the zone against him more. And so that elite eye is not going to lead to just as many walks as it did before because he's getting more pitches in the zone. He is going to have to show he can punish those pitches. And he really hasn't done that yet. Like so far, what he's what he has established is I'm not going to chase. If you don't throw me pitches to hit, I will take first base. Um, and maybe this is the lesson he learned in spring when he wasn't allowed to swing the bat and he kept getting I was gonna walked. say, did they tell him he, he can swing now? Like <laughs> Yeah. So but my, that, that's I think where it's important to note that he is swinging in the zone, right? This is just, he right. has just adjusted to like, if you throw me a strike, I'm willing to take my hacks. He needs to show that he can punish those strikes. If he doesn't do that, then he's not going to be, he's not going to continue to put up the kind of numbers he is right now. And he'll be a, a sell high. I'm watching. I, I, I'm not ready to sell high on him. Um, I really like Vargas. I think that he, I think that he will show that he can hit the ball harder. I mean, you look at his minor league track record and like, you know, he had 18 home runs across two levels and 570 plate appearances last year in 2021 and 540 plate appearances. He had 23 home runs. Like he's not, he's not a 40 home run threat, but he's got some pop and he's got a great hit tool. He's shown that he has a great eye. I think that the BAPIP will come up. It's only 250 right now. I think the home run per fly ball rate, which is 0%, will obviously come up. Um, and I think that'll end up, you know, he has a 325 WOBA right now. His projections are all around 325, 330, as high as 339. Like, I just think he's going to keep performing like this, but with fewer walks and more hits. Um, and I'm I'm willing to wait that out. But... If he keeps, if he keeps struggling to make quality contact, it is something to keep an eye on. Yeah, yeah, and, and 
it's also worth mentioning the hard contact rate, right? That's also below league average uh, for Vargas. But I'm with you. I want to be patient here. Um, obviously, was a top prospect. Um, and for what it's worth, you know, you cited the 325 Woba. The expected Woba so far is 401. Um, so maybe he's been a little bit unlucky so far. And even though it's a small sample, and there we go. I said it, even though I said I just wanted to say it once. His line drive rate is also 25%, which is well above league average. So obviously, I could see a world where he starts making contact more in the zone. He maintains that discipline outside the zone, and he becomes a, a really high-quality fantasy player. So I'm, I'm with you on waiting on Vargas. Yeah, totally makes sense. The last guy you wanted to talk about was you, you noticed the K rate for Matt Chapman. Uh, I feel like there's a million things to notice with Matt Chapman, given how his season <laughs> has gone. But talk to us about his K rate. Yeah, I mean, the reason why, you know, I, I'm excited. Well, I almost didn't want to talk about Matt Chapman because when you consider what kind of show we are, I mean, we're keeper league focused. But I actually think Matt Chapman could be a buy high even in keeper leagues because if you think back to his breakout season with Oakland, where he hit 36 homers, 102 runs, 91 RBI, the batting average was still low at 249, but that's not terribly low. That's not killing anybody. Um, when you think back to that season, you'll notice a lot of things that are similar to this year. So right now his swing strike rate is 8.3%. That's his lowest since that 2019 season where it was 9.2. He was at 10.8 last year, which isn't killer, but 13.2 and 15.2 the year before that 15.2, obviously brutal. So he's swinging and making more contact, um, Chapman is. And I, I think that's important for him because he's someone who has always posted such exciting barrel and exit velocity and, and all those numbers that on contact, he smoked the ball. His problem was whiffing, striking out. And if he's found a way to cut back down on those strikeouts, then he's he's a buy high right now. Like I, I would pay up for Matt Chapman and in your keeper leagues, if you didn't keep him going into this league and you drafted him, he was kind of going at like the end of like the, the realistic third baseman, right? He was one, he was, he was the last like useful third baseman other than Yandy Diaz off the board in my home league, um, which is a three keeper league. So you might actually have him for a pretty cheap price. And if he does pace out this year and ends up with, you know, 30 homers and hundred RBI and a 250 average, don't just write that off and be like, oh, wow, I can't believe I got that out of Matt Chapman. Look at the strikeout rate, because if it's still this low, then he's worth holding on to. He's he's super valuable. That's a great lineup in Toronto. Yeah, so I, I'm totally with you. I think he's a good I think he is a good buy high. And I, I think he's an easy guy to look at and be like, oh, his his big year was 2019. And that was the rabbit ball year. And like, yeah, it was. But as you noted, what stood out about that year for him was not the home run per fly ball rate necessarily it was the strikeouts and the swing strike rate and so the fact that he's bringing that back is a really good sign and while he won't get the rabbit ball this year he isn't in Oakland either <laughs> and so I, it's a pretty good trade-off for him and yeah I'm excited about him I think the, the guy I want to talk about last I'll get to in one minute but I do want to since you mentioned one other third baseman a stat that stands out to me Yandy Diaz has a 49% fly ball rate. That's what we should have led with. Yeah, that's so that true. Is a, <laughs> that is a massive jump for him. And there's not a lot to say there. The guy crushes the ball. He is incredibly strong. He has five home runs this year. Like, he had nine last year and 13 in 2021. He is on pace to destroy his career high in home runs. And all he has to do is keep hitting fly balls and it'll happen. So, yep. uh, 
by Great Young call. BTS. It's the craziest uh, stat the of the year wanted... so far. <laughs> yeah, it is. It really is. So the other stat I wanted to mention is strikeout minus walk rate, which has been shown to be very highly correlated to future performance. Your MLB leader, let me make sure again, and I'm, I'm, I keep looking at these stats I wrote down last night, so let me make sure they are still true before I say them. Your MLB leader in strikeout rate minus walk rate is uh, not surprising. It's Jacob deGrom. He's, he's a good pitcher. Your third place guy is not a huge surprise given what he did last year at Spencer Strider. And I feel like I was going to be like, oh, can you guess who's in second? But we already told you earlier in the episode we were going to talk about Joe Ryan. So <laughs> your number two in all of baseball in strikeout rate minus walk rate is Joe Ryan. He is striking out 37.1% of batters he faces. He is only walking 4.3%. Um, that is like... DeGrom is better than him at both of those things, but that's because he's DeGrom. <laughs> but like Strider is striking out more guys, but walking a lot more. And then you go down the list and that's like, that's like it. Almost everyone else is like Logan Webb is walking fewer guys. Uh, Julio Urias is walking fewer guys, but like in general, like Joe Ryan right now, third in baseball behind Strider and DeGrom in strikeout rate. He is, uh, Ninth in baseball in walk rate. Anthony Disclafani still hasn't walked anyone. That's crazy. Um, anyways, point is, he's not walking anybody. He's striking out everyone. And we talked about him in the offseason. What we talked about in the offseason was he had gone to driveline. He was working on improving his secondaries. His fastball had always been solid. He needed some better secondaries. So last year, he was fastball slider change. He occasionally used a curve. This year... He is fastball sweeper split. His whiff rate on all three of those pitches is over 30% and is higher than any pitch he threw last year. He didn't have a single pitch with a whiff rate. Last year, he did not have a single pitch with a whiff rate as good as the whiff rate on all three of his primary pitches this year. Um, By stuff plus, both the fastball and the sweeper, uh, for, for stuff plus, the sweeper gets categorized as a slider, but... Both the fastball and the sweeper are top 25 in baseball. Um, so he went to driveline. He worked on these pitches. They improved. We said that he could drive up his strikeout rate. Like we talked about this in the offseason. He could drive up his strikeout rate if those things came together. That has come together. I also mentioned in the offseason that he had elite control coming up through the minors. And his walks are down. And so I, my, my whole thing on him in the offseason was if he just does what he did last year, he'll be good. If he gets more strikeouts thanks to this driveline work, He'll be very good. And if he does that and pulls in these this walk rate improvement, he's going to be great. And that's, that's exactly how this has played out. He has brought up the strikeouts. He's brought down the walks and he's been great. I'm all in. I'm, I, I was all in a month ago. I'm, I'm all in now. I'm all inner. <laughs> I'm more all in. I'm all, I'm, I'm double in. I, I don't even, I don't even know what to say. I, I think Joe Ryan is going to like, you know, I think he's going to put up a huge season. I think, uh, I, I feel, I, I, this makes me nervous to say this after I said it out Jeffrey Springs and then he got injured, but I think Joe Ryan's going to be a Cy Young candidate this year. I think like, oh, it is it's music to my ears. <laughs> I, and you look at, and by the way, this is that rotation for the twins. If you've got Joe Ryan and Pablo Lopez, 
just absolutely dominating the world right now. Uh, it's it's an impress like that team is very good even without anything from Byron Buxton. Sonny Gray has been great. Pablo Lopez has been great. Joe, like Joe Ryan, as good as he's been, has the third best FIP in that rotation behind Gray and Lopez. And then Kenta Maeda is also an FIP under three and a half. Like they're just that that is a that is a strong team. I worry a little bit about their pitching depth because some of those guys have some injury history and stuff like that. But um, it's an, they, they've done impressive things improving that team in the offseason. And uh, yeah, Joe Ryan, go get him. I, I think it's worth pointing out that two of his three outings have been against the Astros and the Yankees. And those were his two double digit strikeout games. And he, he made one mistake, one in that Astros game where he gave up a grand slam to none other than Jordan Alvarez. So like if we really want to break down, you know, his entire short three outing 2023 thus far, like he's been pretty flawless against some pretty good talent. He just made one single mistake to maybe the best hitter in the American league. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on Joe Ryan. Very exciting. I'm glad I have him in quite a few spots because I I thought he was going at a bargain. And it looks like so far, anyway, um, that's that's ringing true. Yeah, I, and I think uh, the unfortunate thing is there was probably still an opportunity to buy. Maybe, like maybe after the Royals game, he had six strikeouts, two walks, gave up a home run to I don't even know who to it was to a Royal though. Um, and so, like, there might have been an opportunity to buy low, buy low-ish there. Then he gave up the four runs, all on that grand slam, like you said. And his ERA bloom blossomed all the way up to six. So like, no, it was six for that game. It was just up to like four and a half or four ish. Something like that. Three points. I don't know. High threes. I think after that start, um, 3.75. And so maybe there was an opportunity there. Now you look at his last two starts and it's really easy to be like, okay, he completely shut down the Yankees. He came, you know, inches away, right? That pitch is a couple inches higher, a couple inches lower, or further inside, further outside. He shuts down the Astros. Like, it's going to be really hard to get him if you can't. Like, if you see somebody willing to sell high on him, if you see him on a trade block, go buy. Buy now. That's 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 my Joe Ryan advice. Love it. So, we are nearing the 90-minute mark, and that's enough time. So, we're going to call it quits here. Thank you for listening. Remember to you know, leave us ratings and reviews. Check us out on Twitter. Let us know what you think. Ask us questions. Let us know what you want to hear in the next show. Enjoy listening, and we will be back with you next week.